Good morning. Good to see you all today. As Austin mentioned, we are continuing our series during which we are exploring our purpose as a faith community. Before we do, though, you know, as Westerners, we live in a day and age when and where personal freedom is sort of tantamount. I don't think that's a claim that would shock anyone, nor would it receive much pushback at all, probably. It is sort of seen as the highest calling in this life. An understanding of the truest version of ourselves has been radically individualized, I think, to the point where if I am not absolutely free to do whatever I want, wherever I want, at all times, in all circumstances, well, then I am somehow not fully myself. If I'm going to be free, I must be free of others and their expectations. I must be free of any responsibility to anybody else that I haven't willfully and joyfully accepted. Now, to to be clear, I do believe that freedom does support proper functioning as humans. It's an important part of life. Freedom is a part of the wonderful concoction that leads to increased meaning for human beings. However, from a Christian perspective, that's not all there is to it. From a Christian perspective, another essential, essential part of that glorious blend that leads to wholeness on an individual level is actually community, relationships with one another. Now, to most of us, that probably sounds obvious. Of course, we want personal freedom, but we also want a sense of belonging. We want personal freedom, but we also want that connection, that deep community with other people. But when you think about it, that actually seems to present a great paradox. That community and freedom would be necessary ingredients in the same recipe. How can that be? To be free, at least in modern Western understandings of freedom, I have to be free of any obligation to others. If I want to truly be free, the expectations and the needs of other people are going to be at the bottom of my list of priorities if they make the cut for that list at all. Following Jesus, though, necessarily places limits on our sense of personal freedom. It just does. And to be honest, I don't think that's limited to a Christian view of the world either. I think many sociologists agree that trying to discover a sense of meaning in our lives is going to be elusive without a sense of connectedness. It is elusive without those communal and those relational bonds, but that connectedness always limits freedom. But it is also an essential part of the Christian faith. So this is some of what I want to explore this morning as we continue to think about our purpose as a church. And when we talk about our purpose as a church, I think a lot of times our minds go immediately to the institution or the organization, which we discussed last week. That's not what we want to think of first. But in that vein, At the beginning of this conversation, I do want to acknowledge that there is this sense of growing distrust of the church. And I don't think that distrust just comes from or as a result of the desire, uh, the the culture-wide desire for increased freedom 
or the fact that freedom has become sort of the ultimate form of individualism. That, that's not the only source of the distrust of the church in the West. I think a lot of times that distrust has been earned. And we want to acknowledge our own shortcomings in this conversation because we realize that the church has been guilty of widespread systemic sin throughout its history, and at times that continues to find expression today. And so when we are made aware of the sins of the church, whether that is the global church or our small faith community, we want to take those realizations seriously. We lament that sin. We practice continual, habitual repentance, and we ask God to guard us. We ask God to keep us from idolatry and sin, to keep us from the love of power and money and anything that would have a negative impact on the kingdom. I realize that in a group this big, there are probably many who have experienced hurtful things in churches as institutions. And to be honest with you, we as a faith community are not exempt from that possibility. In fact, maybe the hurt you have experienced occurred here. I think that's a very real possibility. And if that's the case, we are deeply sorry for that. And our acknowledgement of our imperfection and our sin is not at all to excuse that. But to be honest simply with the fact that we fail. We have failed in the past. We will fail in the future. We are never going to be free of sin. Whether we're thinking about the church as an institution or the church as the community of individuals, there is always going to be the possibility of sin, pain, and failure because the institutions we are a part of are comprised of people that are broken and in the process of being restored, which includes you and me. I've shared this analogy before, but I'd like to revisit it because I think it's important in this conversation. It's an analogy that was voiced by Frederick von Hugel, who was an Austrian Catholic theologian, who compared the institution of the church, or the church as an organization, to bark on a tree. So think about bark on the trunk of a tree. He argued that when we think of that bark, obviously there is no life in the bark. The bark is just dead wood. It doesn't have any life in it. But the bark is important to the life of the tree because it protects that life of the tree within. And the tree grows and grows and hopefully continues to grow to the point of maturity. But if you take the bark, that dead wood, off the tree, the life of the tree is compromised. The tree itself is prone to disease and dehydration and death. And in this analogy, he argues, likewise, the church as an institution is dead. There is no life in the organization of the church, but it is helpful to protect something that is alive, something happening inside that organization, the life of the body of Christ. And he argues that when you try to have church without the bark, a lot of times it's not going to last very long. It will disappear or get sick. It's prone to all kinds of diseases and heresy and sin. So the institutional church 
or the church as an organization or a business is definitely not the first thing we want to think of when we talk about the nature of the church. And as we discussed last week, this building that we are gathered in this morning, that's not the first thing we want to think about. And yet all of that is a part of this messy organism we call the local church. The church as an institution, but also the church as the individuals that make up the community. The church, we clearly have our problems. We have our issues. We have our sin that we are trying to work through. But because of all of that, it is certainly tempting to buy into the popular sentiment, well, I love Jesus, but to be honest, I have no interest in the church. I I just have no interest in organized religion. And one thing I want to submit for your consideration this morning is that the organized church, in all of its many different shapes and sizes and forms, the organized church with all of its problems, is still an important part of the Christian faith. And this is why we don't really have the option of just being a religious person. We, we don't have the option of being a Christian and following Jesus in isolation. Because the faith we are a part of is not individualized faith, but it is communal. And almost always when groups of people gather together, organizations and structures and systems are going to begin to emerge. We don't have the option of following Jesus in isolation. As the saying from the Desert Fathers went, the the Desert Fathers were those third century Christian monks who lived in the deserts of Egypt, and they had a saying, one Christian is no Christian. One Christian is is no Christian. To be a Christian means to live in community with other Christians, to routinely gather to receive support, and to offer support. So when we begin to ask a loaded question like, well, what is the church? A part of that answer is, well, the church is what we do in this building with these people. That's not all there is to the church. That's not all there is to the life of the community. But we do hope that everything that happens here is building the family of God, building the community. So what is the church? The church is, at least in part, what happens here with these people. It also includes the community itself our relationships with one another, and nurturing those relationships in such a way that they are strengthening our faith and increasing our faithfulness to Christ. And this morning I want to simply propose that if we want to build the type of community that is life-giving for all, the type of community that is Growing our faith and increasing our faithfulness to Christ, it is going to require a couple of simple first steps. Number one, if we want to create that type of community that is life-giving for all, it requires that we simply show up. We will never build genuine and hopefully eventually vulnerable relationships unless we are in the same physical space time after time, face to face with one another, slowly getting to know one another, and slowly learning to trust one another with the most real version of who we are. 
I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that when I was growing up, we were at the church building all the time. We were there, amen. Steve is still proposing that we return to that style of church attendance. I mean, we were at church, in the church building at least three times a week, but often many more times than that. And I think one positive effect of that type of church attendance is that we got to know one another really well, pretty quickly. Now, obviously today there is a culture-wide trend away from that type of church attendance. I, I don't have the statistics on that, but Austin probably has those lodged away in his brain somewhere. So if you're interested in those statistics, Austin could provide those for you. But there is, putting him on the spot, that there is a culture-wide trend away from that type of church attendance. And I don't necessarily think that trend is a negative thing. I mean, we only have one corporate gathering a week because we understand that this building is not the only part of the life of the community and it's not the only part of your spiritual journey. We also have small groups that meet around our city every week, which by the way, I'll give a small plug for those. If you're interested in joining a small group, talk to me or Austin. There are a lot of things going on in the life of the community that don't take place in this building. There is mission that we are hoping to engage in on a personal but also a corporate level. And we also understand that we all have our lives. We have families or groups of relationships that we are trying to build. We have our work. There are a lot of various responsibilities. And so we don't think it's really appropriate to, to force everybody to be in this building four or five times a week. I think that ends up being counterproductive. We get that lives are complex, that lives are busy, but I do think we also need to be careful to not allow the pendulum to swing to the opposite extreme, where we view participation in the community as an elective add-on to our spiritual buffet, where we're just taking little bits of what we happen to want in that moment. The author of the book of Hebrews gives voice to this concern in chapter 10 in a well-known passage where the author is outlining what the sacrifice of Christ on the cross means for us as the church. And they continue in this way in verse 23, saying, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the author here suggests that what happens in the corporate gathering is so important to the life of the community and so important to the spirituality of the individuals that it cannot be neglected. When we aren't here, and not just in the church building, but when we aren't connected to the body, there is something missing. When we aren't here, it matters. Because when we get together, one of our primary responsibilities is to encourage one another and stir up one another to love and good works. And that does not happen in isolation. That requires that we are in the same physical location, face 
to face. I think this is one of the real deficiencies with the whole concept of online church that is becoming ever so popular. You can consume a lot of spiritual content through a screen, but you can't do what the author of Hebrews is arguing for here, at least not very well, I don't think. To be able to encourage one another and stir one another up to love and good works that requires that we're in the same physical space where we can look at each other eyeball to eyeball. So that's the first ingredient. If we want to try to build that type of community, we first of all show up. When we're not here as a part of the community, it matters. The second ingredient that is necessary in that process is hospitality which again is the consistent theme of this series, becoming a hospitable people. I want to read through today's text from the epistles from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul illustrates this idea beautifully using the image of a physical human body. So this is what he says in chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. For just as the body, so again, think physical body, with all of its organs and extremities and muscles, etc., For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So it's this idea that there is no division. Designations that we create between people, really they mean nothing within the body of Christ. There there is no hierarchy in terms of importance. We, We can't buy into this idea, well, I don't have that gift. Or they seem to have it all put together and I don't. They are talented and I'm not, at least not in the way they are. They have means and I don't. It seems as though relationships are really easy for them, but relationships are quite difficult for me. I'm not as important to the proper functioning of the body as they are because of all of those reasons. So if I disappear, things would probably just continue to move along. It would be fine. Going back to the point stressed just a moment ago, the, the importance of presence, when we aren't here, not just church attendance, but when we are disconnected from the body, that not only impacts you and your ability to live into your purpose, but it also impacts negatively the rest of the body. When you aren't connected to the body, it affects the whole. Verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So individuality is given expression here, but it is individuality that is not disconnected from the whole. 
And my individuality, according to Paul here, is only correctly understood in the context of my membership to the whole, which I think also must mean that any notion or sense of personal freedom I have is only rightly understood in the context of the community. Personal freedom for me as a follower of Jesus is not the freedom to do anything I want regardless of who is impacted negatively by that action or by that decision. That that is not a view of personal freedom that is consistent with a Christian ethic. But there is a different type of freedom. Let's continue in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. It's a lot. This is the hospitality of Christian community. Regardless of strengths, regardless of contributions made to the community, regardless of means or talents or a lack thereof, Paul says nobody in the body is in, or nobody in the body is dispensable. Nobody. I think this is one of the reasons there are great challenges when we begin to view the institution or the organization of the church as first and foremost, a business. Because businesses thrive on efficiency. And bestowing greater honor on the less honorable or the weaker members, what Paul argues here, that is absolutely inefficient. That is not good for business. That doesn't lead to increased income or a thriving business model, but that is how the body of Christ works. We bestow honor, we give preferential treatment to the weaker or the less honorable members. It's how the body of Christ works. So we show up, we are hospitable to the needs of others, even at great cost to ourselves. Great personal cost, loss of freedom, because as Paul says, we are connected to the other parts of the body in a way that is inseparable. And when another part of the body that we feel there's a large distance between us, but when they suffer, if we're a part of the same body, we feel that pain. When they are honored, we rejoice with them because we feel their joy. This is how the body of Christ functions. There's a great little chapter in a novel by Wendell Berry I read a couple of weeks ago. The novel's called Hannah Coulter, where Hannah, who is the narrator of this story, is discussing life in their small Kentucky town and the community of people in that town with whom they had built a life. And several of the characters in her story 
refer to their community of people as a membership. A membership. Their lives had been linked together by a variety of different things. They were linked together by geography. They happened to live in the same location. Many of them were linked together by blood. They were related to one another. They were also linked together by economy and on and on the list went. And that multifaceted link was very difficult to break. This membership, Hannah suggests, was especially visible and undeniable during their annual tobacco harvest. So the primary industry in this small Kentucky town was tobacco farming. And during the harvest, when personal freedom and extreme individualism were nowhere on the radar because they couldn't be. If the members of the community or the members of the mem membership were consumed with their own desires and their own needs, the harvest would never occur. Barry continues through the voice of Hannah that in that membership, there was an economic purpose to it all, but it was much, much deeper than that. And he gives this beautiful picture of the community. He says this, the work was freely given in exchange for work freely given. No bookkeeping, no accounting, no settling up, no, every account was paid in full by the understanding that when we were needed, we would go, and when we had need, the others or enough of them would come. It's a beautiful description of community, but one that is quite difficult to accept. In a later chapter um, that, that reflects on one of Hannah's sons who has chosen to separate himself from the membership to pursue personal freedom, she admits that freedom that, that the separation from the membership brings can be really appealing. And there are certain advantages that you gain from separating yourself from that membership, but the question she raises is, but at what cost? And I think that's a central question that as the body of Christ, we must ask when we consider the life-giving effect of community. We can choose to separate ourselves from the membership, pursue personal freedom at all costs, and there are certain advantages we gain by going that route, but at what cost? Deep connections like the one we're talking about that re require that we concede certain amounts of freedom. It is impossible to be entirely free and live in community. And so we can choose to reject any notion of community that requires anything of us. We can choose to reject any notion of community that threatens our sense of freedom, but I don't think we can do that as Christians. We just don't have that option. As we are connected to the vine, to return to the image that we looked at last week that Jesus uses in John chapter 15, as we are connected to the vine, the vine who is Jesus Christ, the vine who gives us life and leads to human flourishing, we are also by necessity connected to every other branch of that vine. If we separate ourselves from the other branches, we are separated from the vine. And in a paradoxical way, 
surrendering some of our freedom for the sake of relational intimacy in the end leads to a new type of freedom. It is a freedom that is understood in terms of self-sacrifice and self-denial, which is not typically what we think of when we think of freedom, but it is an appropriate view from a Christian perspective. The freedom we are after is not freedom from the body, but freedom to live out our purpose within the body of Christ, his church. I recently heard somebody commenting on the process of walking through a very dark and difficult time with a dear friend of his, and he expressed to that friend, he said, you have permission to live the most difficult days of your life in the safety of my presence. You have permission to live the most difficult days of your life in the safety of my presence. And he went on to suggest that that was essentially his summary of Christian community. And I think we all need that permission from one another. I think we all need to extend that permission to one another. To be honest, that's a type of relationship that imposes on my freedom. It just does. It's uncomfortable. You want to talk about liability? That requires great sacrifice. It places certain expectations on me. I might feel the pressure of that type of vulnerability, but that's what membership, that's what participation in the body of Christ is about. This is an expression of community that is hospitable to the needs of others, even at my own loss. Even if it means my loss of time, a loss of resources or energy for me, maybe even a loss of some freedom. But this is what the love that binds together Christian community is about. We may feel that pressure, but this is what we have signed up for. As the Swedish theologian Christer Stendhal said, love is measured by the amount of tension it can take. And I think like any relationships, we never really know how strong our love is until it is under pressure a little bit. Whether we're thinking about a spouse or maybe a close friend, if the connection with that other person ends as soon as minimal attention appears, love was probably always lacking a little bit. But we could make this personal now and think about our community. And Kevin, if you all want to come up. If we want to be a hospitable people, I think we must first let go of a certain measure of our personal freedom. We must be willing to resist the extreme individualism that dominates our cultural landscape. Of course, not abandoning all conceptions of freedom, but we do need to redefine or understand personal freedom in a new way. We need to understand it in terms of self-sacrifice and hospitality, the freedom to serve, not the freedom to disconnect whenever we're unhappy with something that's going on, but the freedom to plant our roots even deeper into the body. So we are willing to show up to take the long view, building community requires great sacrifice and consistency that begins simply with presence. And 
we understand as the body of Christ, as Paul has given voice to in 1 Corinthians 12, that we are interconnected in such a way that we must get used to caring for the other as much as we care for ourselves. If we don't, the body begins to turn in on itself. The body will eventually begin to atrophy. We show up. We care about the needs of others because we are connected in a way that is inseparable. Would you stand this morning? Today we are going to respond to the Spirit of Christ speaking to us through our scriptures by gathering around the table, responding to his invitation, which gives us a sense of belonging in the body of Christ and then requires that we create that sense of belonging for others. By way of invitation to the table this morning, I'd like us to join our voices in a prayer, the prayer of St. Francis. Many of you will know this should be on the screen behind me. Let's join together as we prepare to come to the table. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying to self that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Would you join us at the table and receive the life that Christ has for us?